Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Anomalous Diseases The human body is a miraculous thing, capable of incredible feats of strength, dexterity, endurance, and agility. Despite this, humans can be brought to debilitation and death by the smallest of organisms. Infectious agents are terrifying aspects of life, even in the real world, but in the SCP universe they can be responsible for some truly horrific diseases. That's what we'll be looking at today, anomalous diseases catalogued and contained by the SCP Foundation. Some of the most well-known diseases won't be mentioned here as I've covered them before, such as SCP-610, and I also won't be looking at any sort of mental contagions that only alter someone's way of thinking. First, I'd be remiss if I didn't include SCP-008, a complex prion with 100% infectiousness, 100% lethality, transmissible through exposed mucous membranes and bodily fluids. That, of course, would be bad enough, but it's the symptoms of the disease that are really bad. It begins with flu-like symptoms with a high fever leading into severe dementia, then a coma about 20 hours after symptoms appear, leading to death. A period of cellular necrosis breaks out, with surviving tissue assuming its original function and becoming highly resilient. Red blood cells greatly increase their oxygen storage capacity, resulting in slower blood flow throughout the body and increased muscle endurance and strength. The nervous and muscular systems are otherwise unaffected, but the subject's metabolism may decrease to extremely low levels, allowing a subject to survive afterwards for over 10 years without nutrition. Their high blood viscosity results in negligible blood flow from injuries, and their motor controls, behavioral mechanisms, and cognitive abilities are severely degraded. This leaves a subject capable of only basic physical activities, such as walking, crawling, grabbing, and biting. They will move towards anything the subject associates with living humans, and will attempt to consume any live humans they come into contact with. Neutralization of the subject requires significant cranial trauma. Yeah, okay, so it's just a zombie virus, but it's a classic SCP that really combines the scientific nature of the SCP Foundation with the anomalous horror of the SCP universe. It's not incredibly original, but it's no surprise at all that the Foundation has some samples of it kept in a lab somewhere. Moving on to something a bit more original though, with SCP-016, a pathogen uncovered during a mining operation when a miner injured himself while working in a deep coal seam. The pathogen was able to spread and infect the rest of the workers over the next few days, as well as the CDC crisis team sent in to deal with the problem. When the Foundation came in, they terminated everyone infected, except for the original worker, and sealed the mineshaft. Symptoms of SCP-016 start by resembling the common cold, 
leading into a hemorrhagic fever 48 hours later as the infected begins to cough up aerosolized blood, which spreads the pathogen. After this, the subject starts to bleed profusely from every bodily orifice, and their blood pressure skyrockets, in some cases involuntarily vomiting blood to distances of over 5 meters. Should the subject actually manage to survive this stage, the pathogen will become dormant again, only to activate sometime in the next day to two years. Even more notable, if an infected subject undergoes a period of high stress, such as a life-threatening situation, the pathogen will instead begin rewriting the host's DNA and stimulate rapid cell division. This causes a host body to rapidly mutate in a time span of 24 hours to 2 weeks in a way that would help the host to survive the situation. Ironically, the rapid bodily changes often causes the host to die anyways. These transformations also alter the host's mentality, making them far more aggressive, possibly to hasten the spread of the virus. Testing with some D-class infected with the pathogen and placed in life-threatening situations showed that the pathogen might differ in their responses to the same situation. The containment cells of two D-class were slowly filled with water over a 24-hour period after they were infected. One D-class's lungs mutated into gills, allowing it to survive for a further two weeks in the water, but they died after all the water was drained and they asphyxiated. The pathogen in the other D-class caused its host's muscles to rapidly grow and the bones of his knuckles to expand. The D-class attempted to escape by punching through the reinforced steel cell door, but failed to do so and drowned. The cell of a third D-class was also filled slowly with water, but this D-class had a background in chemical engineering. During the crisis, the pathogen caused the subject to grow an unusual organ on his chest consisting of a chamber and two separate tubes. The organ took in water and swelled in size, and since it seemed that the organ was going to function as some sort of explosive, the D-class was terminated by gunshot. Another D-class was infected and told to concentrate on growing wings, with no stress applied, but nothing happened and the subject died of exsanguination. A fifth D-class was also told to concentrate on growing wings, but was placed in an acrylic box above a mine shaft, and was told the box would drop after a timer went off. The pathogen mutated the D-class's body, but instead of growing wings, he grew a tentacle-like organ on his wrist that extruded a silk-like substance, and used it to secure the box to the cable. The D-class died when the timer hit zero and a bomb was detonated. Not quite as ostentatious, but still terrifying, is SCP-020, a fungal organism that somehow is invisible to direct observation, only visible through photographic or video surveillance. The fungi spread rapidly, and when rooted in someone's home, will begin to produce spores that affect the humans living in the home. Infected subjects will increase the heat and humidity of the home to make it more suitable for fungal growth and they will also become more sociable, often inviting people into their home to spread the fungus. Eventually, the growth of the organism will reach a point where the health of humans inside of the home rapidly deteriorates, leading to death. The fungi, of course, still reside in the corpses, unseen to emergency responders and other healthcare officials, leading to further spread. 
SCP-020 was first discovered in a hospital by an undercover agent who noticed dramatic personality changes in the personnel. Further investigation revealed that a majority of the town was infected, leading the Foundation to incinerate the entire town. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Not every anomalous disease features an insidious and slow degradation towards death, of course. SCP-081 is a virus spread through intercourse, exposure to infected blood, and through rats, who act as passive carriers. There is a one-week incubation phase before initial symptoms commence, starting only with the subject feeling slightly tired for a week. In the next week, subjects will begin to experience hot flashes and an increased appetite, followed by a period of extreme polyphagia. The infected will do anything in their power to obtain food, or anything that's edible, as their metabolism slows down significantly, leading to rapid weight gain. This continues until a subject possesses 55% body fat, at which point their urge to eat will stop, but their hot flashes will increase in frequency. Soon afterwards, their body will go through an extremely violent version of widespread cell lysis, as their body incinerates itself using fat as a fuel source resulting in what is commonly called spontaneous human combustion. It's believed that SCP-081 has existed since the 10th century, but because of widespread poverty and malnutrition in many European countries at the time, most cases didn't proceed to the fourth stage. Conversely, due to the obesity epidemic in the U.S. currently, it's theorized that a wide-scale breakout of the virus would be disastrous. Mosquitoes are one of the most notorious vectors for spreading harmful diseases, from yellow fever to malaria. SCP-149 is a specific breed of mosquito that carries a strain of retrovirus which mutates human cells into fertilized mosquito eggs. The first set of cells that mutate resemble cysts, concentrated in the lining of the esophagus and the sinuses. Dissecting these cysts reveals them to be filled with mosquito larvae and by the time a subject feels the effects of the virus, the first generation of these mosquitoes have already fully grown. The mosquitoes typically leave the host's body through the mouth and nostrils, but occasionally exit through the eye sockets. As expected, infection by SCP-149 is invariably fatal. Finally, we have SCP-2559, which, although it doesn't only affect an individual's mind, it does spread through thoughts. Basically, if someone believes that they have been infected by SCP-2559, they will become infected. There is no other known way of spreading the virus. Within five hours of infection, 2559 can be found in the host's cerebral spinal fluid, and in their blood within two days. Symptoms of the virus vary wildly, but commonly include increased intracranial pressure, leading to tunnel vision, convulsions, mental disability, strokes, and death, restriction of blood supply to various organs and tissues leading to necrosis, gangrene, and strokes, 
extreme negative reactions to water, food, sun, heat, cold, or various medications, and a number of pigmentation disorders, most commonly segmental vitiligo. So far, infection is proved to cause a 100% mortality rate, with continuous medical treatment only capable of extending life expectancy up to five years. Prior to 1995, there had been regular outbreaks every three to four years, although it is yet to be determined what caused these outbreaks. The first confirmed outbreak occurred in Ireland in 1928, resulting in the deaths of 43 civilians. Investigation agents determined the infection to be non-anomalous, until a similar outbreak occurred in Iceland in 1933. It's suspected that a case of mass hysteria in Australia in 1889 might actually be the first outbreak. During the outbreak in Iceland in 1933, three junior researchers were infected, leading to 12 more researchers becoming infected upon their return to a foundation site. Within a few months, 20% of the site's staff had been found to be infected. A few months after this, the radio control room of the site began to broadcast an unauthorized message filled with spelling mistakes, in which the sender instructs personnel to repeat the phrase, Mendacium non verum. Two minutes later, security apprehended a senior researcher in the radio control room, who had learned that the virus spreads through thought. He believed that he could save the lives of uninfected personnel by convincing them that they were memetically inoculated. The phrase Mendacium non verum was revealed by the researcher to be just a placebo. As it turns out, he was right, and the memetic inoculation saved the lives of almost 200 researchers, resulting in his promotion to co-director of a foundation site. We're told that years later, the foundation learned that placebo memetic inoculation does more harm than good, and the researcher is now classified as an SCP. Things continued as normal for years after the original discovery, with contained regular outbreaks until 1995. On December 25, 1995, every contained instance of 2559 infected died, the majority of them from major hydrocephalic strokes. The next day, an unscheduled outbreak occurs in Taiwan, with 153 civilian casualties and 30 survivors contained by the Foundation. In 2013, an infected junior researcher in a medically induced coma was found to have developed an unusual pattern of pigmentation on the back of his left hand. As a result of a stroke, he suffers from aphasia, which affects his ability to speak, but he is brought out of the coma to discuss the pigmentation. He reveals that the markings on his hand are identical to a diagram in a book of palmistry that he used to read every morning. The junior researcher suffered a fatal cardiac arrest shortly after, and 12 other contained instances were found to have unusual skin patterns matching the patterns of their hospital gowns. That same year, a breakout occurred in a town in Connecticut, which went unnoticed for almost a month due to unusually subtle initial symptoms. Most citizens believed it to just be a common cold, until the town doctor contacted the CDC about a highly infectious illness in the town with severely sudden onset of fatal symptoms. The Foundation swooped in and were given an interview afterwards between Dr. Quayle and Private Barnes of the responding MTF. 
Part of the MTF landed their helicopter in the town square and began to sweep through the town, finding it initially empty. They put on hazmat suits, as the chief medical officer told them it was only a precautionary measure to be better safe than sorry. They found a number of dead bodies with swollen necks from goiters. After breaking into homes, they did find some live subjects, but they found plenty of places trashed with food all over the kitchens and paper covering the floors. They heard a big commotion coming from the library, and a few members of the MTF went to investigate. They found around 300 infected civilians inside the library, fighting each other over the books. Those that got their hands on the books were eating them by ripping out pages and shoving them in their mouths. The MTF was told that the infection doesn't affect behavior, making it especially confusing. The activity seemed to be centered around a big pile of books, with a large, infected man fighting off anyone who came near. The MTF began working to restrain and remove most of the infected individuals, but everything went wrong when one of the team told the mob that there were more books outside, causing a stampede. Barnes was left alone to deal with the remaining infected inside the library, corralling the rest outside until only the large man is left. Barnes managed to tranquilize the man, but sprained his wrist in the process. Afterwards, he found a young woman underneath the pile of books, who started screaming and attacking him after seeing the large man on the ground. Barnes didn't fight back after noticing that the girl was pregnant despite him having a record of previously subduing pregnant women. He says that he couldn't help but wonder if it had been his wife or kid, despite not having a wife or kid. He admits that he wasn't thinking straight, and the girl managed to get his hood off. His teammate came in and had no choice but to treat him as an infected, as it only takes the slightest belief that you are infected to make you infected. Barnes gets taken along with the rest of the infected through quarantine, where he notices a peculiar birthmark on the girl's chest. He then noticed a man with the exact same mark on his chest, revealed to be the logo of the SCP Foundation. All of the infected people from the town had the same mark on their chests. Barnes compares the infection to being told that an animal can smell your fear, which only makes you more afraid. The virus slips in through those tiny background worries in a corner of your mind. He talks about one of the pregnant women that he had subdued on another mission, and says that he doesn't really remember her at all outside of brief flashes. The rest of the squad said that he had changed after that mission, seeming lonelier, and he was transferred to another MTF. He doesn't remember the woman because the Foundation wiped his memory of her after her death. It's revealed that the woman was Corporal Tanya Barnes. The virus then is obviously not typical, even considering that it spreads through thoughts, but it is in fact sentient. It is some sort of entity that became associated with things starting with the letters VI, such as virus, tunnel vision, and vitiligo. It can adapt to thoughts and ideas carried by hosts, shown in the skin patterns resembling hospital gowns. When it first cropped up, it wasn't harmful, as it only resulted in a breakout of mass hysteria in Australia, but then it began killing off its hosts. 
The Foundation has taken to keeping infected alive and contained as long as possible to prevent it from spreading. And obviously, the entity has taken an interest in the Foundation by manifesting its logo on people's bodies. It's unclear what exactly the entity's goals are, but it doesn't seem to be solely interested in spreading as far as possible. Okay, so I cheated a little bit with the mimetic nature of the last one, but otherwise I hope that this video gave you a proper dose of body horror. In a universe filled with scary stuff, diseases can still be pretty unsettling, as anomalous reflections of the horrors of the real world. In our universe, we can typically avoid diseases through precaution and cleanliness, but disease is still a long ways from becoming only a fictional horror.